All right, so today we are going to wrap up our how-to series, our how-to summer series, based upon our Luke 3 and Me series. And I gave all the children a balloon. You guys have your balloons? All right. And you have a straw, and you have a, a coffee stir. That's the little brown thing. You may not know what a coffee stir is. So for you children, I want you to know, first of all, that the balloon represents you, okay? So everything we talk about today, the balloon represents you. And when we attempt to fill up the balloon, the air inside the balloon will represent the Holy Spirit inside of us because it is the breath of God, the Spirit of God in us. So don't blow up your balloons yet, just hang on. And uh, I'll have you uh, do that as we kind of go through here. But I want you to think about your balloons being your body, uh, your soul, and then the Holy Spirit will be inside of us. We'll talk about how that all works in just a second because we're talking about how to be tameless. And really, the concept here is pretty simple. So let me say it right at the very beginning. That is, is that God gives us a powerful spirit that lives within believers. It's a powerful, it's the same power that brought Christ Jesus back from the dead. That's the power of the Spirit that lives within all of uh, God's children who believe in Him. And what happens in our life, over a period of our life, is the devil, he, through his scheming, he does everything he can to tame that Holy Spirit. So today we're talking about how to be tameless, using the example of the life of Jesus to guide us. And the term we're using along with that is having some religious rigidity. Rigidity means you're going to stand up straight and tall. And you're, going to be, you're not going to bend that knee. You're not going to kneel. You're not going to flex. And when it comes to our religious expression and experience, it's important that we are rigid in the right ways, but also compassionate and humble and servant in other ways. So we'll talk about that in just a second as we think about the example of Jesus because the big question today is to kneel or not to kneel. That's the question of our times. And if you follow sports, this is one of the big things, one of the big questions that we are confronted with every time you watch the beginning of some sports event, whether it be basketball or baseball. Uh, football's starting very soon, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, I hear that the NFL is going to be playing this year. Is that right? Does anybody know? Any big NFL fans? It doesn't matter, really matter. All right. So we know the NBA is already in the playoffs, and uh, the, the race car drivers are driving around the track, and every time they play the national anthem, there's this stress and cameras uh, focusing on the different athletes who are choosing to kneel or not to kneel. We can thank Colin Kaepernick because in 2016, the real story is he was mad because the coach had benched him, and so he was throwing kind of a fit, and he kneeled during the national anthem as a protest against that. Now, that's not the story that the world would tell you, the national media will tell you. He uh, was embarrassed by it, and so he uh, changed it into some kind of big social issue whenever he was asked about it. And that started a trend, which is carried over into the what we call the Black Lives Matter movement, which is an expression of a revolution right now against the way things are. And, um, you know, we could argue about those things from a political standpoint all day, but that's not really the point of why we're here. And I'm not sure uh, what any of it really means to most people, 
But here's what it means to me as a believer, and I hope it means something similar to you. And that is that the idea of kneeling is reserved for God. And that is because His command. We all remember Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6, which says, And God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. And here's the thing that we need to pay attention to. He says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there we could unpack today. But here's the thing I want us to grab onto and to think about. He says, you shall not bow down to them. We remember the context of this when we studied it here, when we did our Luke 3ME series from the story of Terah. Remember, Terah had the household gods, and it started this whole process of idol worship and how idol worship was supposed to work. So with idol worship, there was this uh, concept or this idea that instead of worshiping God and Him alone, they would bow down and they would worship foreign gods, gods they made with their own hands. By the time Moses came along, it was such a common act for them to make their own idols and worship them that God would put it right here in the Ten Commandments and say, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, here's the important part of this lesson for us when we are asking the question to kneel or not to kneel. The Bible says if you're kneeling, it better be only to God and God alone, period. Because anything else puts us in a precarious relationship with our Heavenly Father. Is he going to cause trouble then punishing our children for the next three or four generations because we have kneeled or we have bowed down to idol worship? And it's not just that, but it's what we put in their minds. It's what we put in their hearts by example. However, if we are obedient and we show love to him and worship him only, he will show his love to a thousand generations uh, who keep his commandments. Now, that's a great big contrast we need to understand here. So basically, here's what we need to understand. We kneel only before the Lord. And we need to answer the question, why? And the New Testament gives us a picture of this, but let me finish the sentence. We kneel before the Lord so we can stand against the schemes of Satan. We kneel before the Lord so we can stand against the schemes of Satan. If you are not, if you kneel before the things of this world, if you have idol worship, that means that you are already a part of the schemes of Satan. And the only way for us to have the power of the Holy Spirit alive within us enough to stand against the schemes of Satan is for us to kneel and humble ourselves before the Almighty God. 
Now, some people wonder, well, what does that look like in real life? And a great picture that I have is one of George Washington at Valley Forge. Maybe you've seen this portrait. Uh, there was no, uh, there was no uh, um, what we call uh, current uh, record of this in some of the history books, but this was a recalling of one of the uh, troops or one of the people in the area, a witness from the area, who came by and saw George Washington on his knees in prayer there at Valley Forge. And if you remember the story of Valley Forge, it was dark, it was cold, it was wet. The troops had uh, a little covering, they were hungry, they had few supplies, and they were to go into battle very soon. The enemy had surrounded them in a sense. The scheme of Satan had uh, found its way. And here, uh, the leader of our country, George Washington, the general at the time, he gets on his knees and he prays before the Lord. And I say, why? And I believe it was he was kneeling before the Lord so that he could stand against the scheme of Satan. He saw this tyranny of King George and the battle that they had as a part of this scheme of the devil. So he knew he was outnumbered. He knew that they had greater history. The British army had been successful all around in subjugating and subjecting and having other people submit to them. But George Washington got on his knees and he prayed. When we think about how we can stand against Satan's schemes, whatever form they might take, and he keep this picture in mind, that we only kneel before the Lord. And we learn this also from the life of Jesus. Jesus teaches us how to be tameless. And you got to know what the word tame means. It means when someone tries to uh, take what is wild and it's, uh, you know, like a wild stallion or wild horse and they'll try to tame it so that they can subjugate, subjugate it or domesticate it. That's what the devil wants to do with your Holy Spirit that's within you, that's powerful within you. He wants to tame it so much that he can kind of just lead you around wherever he wants you to go. Puts a bit in your mouth. You still, it's okay for you to be a Christian, okay for you to believe or be a believer. It's okay for you to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but you, he, we're going to explain how he uh, helps us neglect and quench and grieve our Holy Spirit so it becomes ineffective and unproductive in the world. Jesus, however, was the perfect example. And Paul understood that this battle that we have is a spiritual one when he talked about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, turn there with me. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's schemes. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. We are to be strong in the Lord, in His mighty power, the Holy Spirit inside of us, so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. Satan is scheming to tame the Spirit of God that lives within you, so that when the day of evil comes, you will melt, you will shrink back instead of standing up to Satan's scheme. 
you will subjugate, submit, and subject yourself to the powers, people, and promises of this world. And in the process, you cause your spirit to deflate within you so that it's ineffective and unproductive. And the devil will limit the effectiveness of your influence on others for Christ Jesus. Now the truth is, is that that's exactly what the devil did to Christ. And we're going to look at his life and see three different areas in which the devil sought to try to diminish the power of the spirit in the life of Christ and how the devil failed. Because then we can learn how we can overcome. Because the facts in, the evidence, in evidence are this. The schemes of the devil are meant to tame the mighty power of the Holy Spirit in each of us. To kneel or bend the knee to anyone or anything in this world quenches the powerful work of the Spirit through our lives. Jesus never bent the knee to worldly pressure, so his Father was able to maximize his influence in history and exalted Jesus, and we are called to have, have that same mindset. You want proof of that? Look at Philippians 2. Verse 5, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. In other words, be like Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to, the, to death, even death on a cross. Listen to this. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always bade, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good promise. So Christ here it sets a wonderful example, and we are to have the same mindset of him. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, and he became a servant of God. In other words, he submitted himself. He kneeled before his heavenly Father. And because of that, God filled him up. He exalted him, set him at the highest place, the right hand of the throne, so that this impacts every man, woman, and child that has ever lived or ever will live. Don't you think that sounds important? Don't you think that sounds powerful? I mean, we're, if you're a parent or grandparent, you're just thankful if your kids or grandkids listen to you for a few seconds, right? Just imagine if you, that everyone in all eternity will submit to that because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, because it will be that evident. And he was able to come to this place because he humbled himself before the Lord, he served the Lord, and he stood against the schemes of Satan. So to be tameless, we need to be like Jesus. We need to humble ourselves, kneel before God, so that we can stand against the schemes of Satan by putting on the full armor of God. And if we allow that Holy Spirit to be strong in us, then we can take whatever stand, whatever evil, whatever trick, whatever scheme that ever wants to throw at us, we're going to be okay. So let's talk about those evidences from the life of Jesus on how to be tameless. First of all, we learn from him that we don't let Satan tame us through temptations. Don't let Satan tame you 
through temptations. Okay, everybody, uh, kids, get your balloon out real quick. Finally, finally, all right, get your balloon out. All right, you got your balloon? Now, remember, what does the balloon represent? It represents us. And what does the air inside the balloon represent? It represents the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Okay, uh, what I want you to do is I want you to neglect your balloon for a second. Neglect it. Just throw it off the side. Don't pay attention to it. Ignore it. Let's just ignore it. Put it somewhere where you can't see it, okay? Just put it where you can't see it, okay? Now, we'll, we'll come back here in just a second on what that means, but when we say don't let Satan tame you through temptation... We remember that when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was carried off the wilderness after he proclaimed that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's scripture that we talked about before from Luke three, uh, Luke 4. And when, we, when he did this, then he goes off to the wilderness and Satan approaches him to tempt him. He tempts him three times. First, with, with his, he's been there 40, 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry. So he says, if you're son of God, turn this stone into bread. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? And then uh, Satan takes him to uh, the, um, the highest part of the temple and says, throw yourself down. If you're a son of God, throw yourself down and the angels will come and save you so that not a, not a, not a single uh, bone in your body or nothing on you will be hurt. And so Jesus says, don't put the Lord to God to the test. Then he wraps up with this. Um, he says... Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, Satan said this. Now, this is kind of rich. All of this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. <laughs> Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended Jesus. First of all, when the devil says, all of this I will give to you, didn't belong to the devil anyway, but that's exactly the way the world tries to tempt us. Tries to say, I have all of this. I'm going to give you all these things, and all you got to do is bow down and worship me. And notice how Jesus responds. He says, this is, this is, uh, this is the greatest diss in the history of mankind. Jesus just goes, talk to the hand, Satan, away from me. I don't have time for this. I don't have to listen to you. I am not bound by you because the Bible says worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when you worship the God and serve him only, going back to Exodus 20, what does that mean? It means that God will love us for a thousand generations and he'll take care of us and he will bless us. And all the things that we might see in this world, all the things that tempt us, no matter what they might be, we can just say, you know, talk to the hand. I'm going to worship the Lord because God's got something even greater in store for me. Do not subjugate to any power of this world. There are a lot of powers out there that says, if you follow us, if you kneel to us, if you subject, subjugate yourself to us, we'll give you the world. And why that is so silly is it's not theirs to give. And yet they always promise that they'll give it to you. Do not neglect your spirit, kids. Are you neglecting your spirit? Get your balloons out. we got to stop neglecting them. All right? So let's fill them up. 
but don't tie them off. Fill them up and then hold. You got to hold it where there's, you got your spirit inside of you. Blow it up, but don't burst it. Now blow it up. So, no, you got a lot of spirit in you. Come on, let's get some spirit inside of us. All right, there you go. You got spirit? Yes, you do. You got spirit? How about? No, that's not. We got spirit. Yes, you do. All right. All right, so you got spirit in your balloons? Good. Now, don't let, the, don't let the air out, but don't tie it off. All right, so just hang on just a second. So do not neglect the spirit. Sometimes, like the balloons here, we just don't allow God's truth to come into us where it fills us up with his power. And the devil, he's always trying to get us just to neglect the whole idea that we have the power of the spirit that lives within us. And he does that through temptations. We come across every temptation that's known to man, and the whole point of it is just very simple, and that is to tame your spirit so that he can control you. That is Satan. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, 6 through 16 says this about the spirit. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here's a question. If Jesus had given in to the temptation of Satan here in the wilderness... What major horrible consequence would have resulted from that? It has to do with the cross. He would not have been able to hang on a cross. That's exactly right. He would not have been qualified to, to be crucified because Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb. Now, we sometimes don't think about the consequences of our giving in to temptation. But God does. That's why he tells us to not allow Satan to tame our spirit by giving into temptation, thinking that it's better for us or that it gives us some kind of power over this world or power over in our own particular lives when it doesn't. The lesson Jesus teaches us here is that we are to give ourselves wholly to what God has called us to do because if we preserve in them... We will save both ourselves and we'll save our hearers. Jesus, he saved himself. He was exalted to the right hand of the throne of God and it gave him the opportunity to be the sacrificial lamb to save the entire world. Any who would believe in him. This past week, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the man by the name of Jerry Falwell Jr. This is his picture up here. I don't want to get a lot into his story, but he was a very influential uh, American Christian, evangelical, we'll call him that. And he was, uh, his father established Liberty University, which is one of the biggest Christian universities in the country right now. And Jerry Falwell had kind of followed his, father, uh, his father's footsteps and was the president. And then some pictures started coming out of him and, and other people. And then a big salacious story was released this past week. And I will get into it because I don't want to bother my grandchildren with the, the details of it. And if you know what the details are, that's fine. We're, if you're an adult, you understand what I'm talking about here. He was often 
people often went to him and asked of his opinion and his advice. And so he had kind of developed a sense of power in this world and influence in this world. As a matter of fact, in the Christian world, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips, so to speak. And he subjugated himself to this worldly power, this thought that he had some kind of power in this world. And it caused him, in some respect, to neglect the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not judging him. I'm just simply saying, the stories, if they're true, and he's admitted to some of them, if they're true, they're not indicative of a powerful Holy Spirit in someone. Let's just say it that way. He was tamed by temptation. And here's the consequence. There are a lot of people, a lot of non-believers and a lot of believers who now question all of Christianity and its legitimacy and authenticity and genuineness because of his spirit being tamed through temptation. Now you might think I'm not that important, but we sometimes forget that God has a ministry for you He's given you full armor of God so that you could stand during the days when the evil or when Satan comes to tear you down. And he gives you this power so that you can always stand against the Satan schemes, whatever they might be for you. So don't let Satan tame you through temptation because there's consequences. All right. Second thing here is don't let society tame you through your trials. When Jesus went before the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, when they were judging him, they were trying to prove that he was not the son of God. You remember the story that we find in Matthew 25 or 26. He is there and they try to find people who will bring a testimony against him. Nothing's working. And then they bring some people forth who lie about him. And then they ask him, I charge you under oath, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus just simply said, you got it right. You've said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And that made them really mad for some reason. Because Jesus was just telling it like it is. And for us as believers, sometimes society is trying to tame us by making us think temporarily. And what Jesus teaches us here is instead of thinking temporarily, we need to think eternally. Jesus was able to endure that moment of trial in which his society, his culture was trying to tame him. They wanted him to admit he was not the son of God. Maybe they would have let him go, maybe they wouldn't. But they wanted him to admit, no, I'm not, you're right, I'm not the son of God, tamed. And that would destroy his reputation, his ministry, and all those other things. What it teaches us is that we should never submit to authoritarian people of this world who are trying to tame our Holy Spirit that's within us through societal pressure. And there's a lot of that on Christians today. See, don't be be evident, don't be vocal, don't be uh, out there about being a believer. If you want to be a believer, it's okay to go to church as long as you're quiet everywhere else about it. Don't talk about it in public square. Don't talk about it at Walmart. Don't talk about it anywhere that there's other people who are non-believers because they might be offended by what it is that you say 
And if they want to curse at you and scream at your face and call you all kinds of names and they're just a few feet away from it, you're supposed to just say, oh, well, you know, everybody has free speech, right? But we're living in a society where authoritarian people are trying to tame our spirit and what they want to do is they want us to quench the Holy Spirit within us. Now, what the word quench means, it has two meanings. One is like when you quench the thirst and the other means to extinguish like a fire, and what we're talking about is the second one, extinguishing the fire. So you guys have your balloons now. Hopefully you didn't tie them off. Now I want you to take your, uh, your um, let's see, I want you to take your coffee stirrer, okay? And then I want you to put it at the end of the balloon and then slowly let the air out of the balloon through the coffee stirrer. Okay, slowly, slowly. Is it coming out? Just don't pinch the end. Make sure it has access to it. It's going down a little bit. Eh? Is yours going down, Zoe? All right, it's going down slowly. And this is kind of like what the world seeks to do. It's not a quick thing. It slowly is putting pressure on us from the outside. And if we have a little leak in us like this coffee stirrer, you guys, you, you adults know what a coffee stirrer obviously is. They, we call them adult straws, right? You stir up your coffee and then you suck through them, right? So if you have, we, what this illustrates for us is that sometimes we allow the pressure that's on the outside of us and we have little tiny holes. And the reason it just pop a hole in it, the whole balloon would pop, is we just, the, the spirit just kind of leaks out. It's extinguished out of us. We lose our breath. We're quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're letting society do that by putting this pressure on us. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Then it goes on to say, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. And here's how this, why this matters. It's because people in authoritarian positions over us, people, society, they're always telling us what is best for us in the future, Right? They may not be living it in the present, but they'll make all kinds of predictions about if you just do what I say, that's a prophecy, in the future good things are going to happen. And uh, Paul reminds the Thessalonians here, you got to test the spirits. You reject every kind of evil and you hold on to what is good. And if someone is telling you that something good will come if you do something bad today or sinful today, they're trying to... Quench the spirit that's within you through societal pressure. And you're supposed to say, nah, I'm not going to quench the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we don't want the Holy Spirit to be quenched within us. Okay, the last one here. Blow your balloons back up, kiddos. Or before you do, take the straw out of the, the straw holder. How to be tameless. Don't let self tame you through tests. Now, y'all remember when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane? There's some loud blowers out there. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And so he goes and he prays, Right? And he's praying so intensely that he's sweating almost drops of blood. 
And then he comes back and his apostles uh, are, or his disciples have fallen asleep. And he says to them, can you not stay awake and pray with me? And then the, we have the whole, the statement that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak comment there. But Jesus goes and he prays. But here's the point of that story is that he asks God if there's a different way that he could fulfill his ministry, his calling, other than going to the cross. He said, let that be done. But he says, not my will, but thine be done. He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. This was a test for Jesus. And he was putting the test on himself. He was struggling in his own mind, his own heart. He was man. He was flesh. And he's trying to figure out if there's a different way that I can do this without sacrificing my very life for, uh, on the cross. May it be done. But instead, I'll do whatever God tells me that I need to do. What that teaches us is that we should never subject ourselves to the kind of alternative promises we make to ourselves that come from this world. We know what God's called us to do. We know he's called us to be honorable and good, faithful, not to sin. I mean, we read it in the Bible all the time, and yet every once in a while we'll go, you know, this seems kind of hard to do. I mean, there are all these alternative promises out there that say, if I you know, maybe sin this way or I entertain this kind of idea or I watch this kind of show or I imbibe in this kind of activity, then I will, it will be easier for me, it will be better for me. And rarely do we say, but not my will but thine be done, Lord, because what we're really doing when we're testing ourselves that way is we're trying to find an excuse in order to do it. And I don't think Jesus was doing that that night in the garden but I think it helps us understand that in a, in a final sense, what we always have to say is, not my will, but yours, Lord. Do not subject yourself to those alternative promises that come from this world, because that grieves the Holy Spirit. All right, kiddos, you got your blown balloon up, you got your straw. All right, put your straw, again, put your straw in the end. Yeah, you're, no, no, your your regular straw in the end. Oh, by the way, if if anyone needs a, if you need a, I've got a balloon. Let me show you. This is my Holy Spirit. This is how God. This is what happens when uh, we let we pray and we let God live inside of us. Man, He just fills us up with the Holy Spirit, right? There it goes. I love it. Oh, Martha's afraid it's going to pop. No, I won't let it pop. I'll just let it go. Ah! So anyway, we have this Holy Spirit that's within us, and we quench it, or we, um, we uh, grieve it sometimes. And if you take that, this is a, oh, this was a balloon that had the courageous and, uh, cur courageous and confident and certainty on it from last week. But when we let the Spirit out of us, just take that, let the straw seep that air out of it again. It's a little faster Whenever we are uh, grieving the Holy Spirit, we make these decisions that are bad for us. And when we do and we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have the truth within us, it grieves Him. It grieves the Spirit that lives within us. And the word grief is, is more than just sad. He mourns for us what we have done that will create havoc in our life instead of blessing. 
Jesus, in the garden, he was thinking about, is there a different way I could do this? But not my will, but thine be done, Father. And because he followed the Father's will, he was exalted that highest place. And we sometimes forget, if we go after these promises that the world makes us that are better, we think they're better than what God tells us to do, that we'll be better off. But all it does is it grieves, it, the Holy Spirit mourns within us because He knows that it's going to take us off on a tangent that's just going to fill our life with grief and sorrow. And we're not fulfilling what God's called us to do through the power of the Spirit within us. There are a lot of things that we could look at that would help us better understand this. And Well, this past week I was thinking about how um, uh, when uh, the First Lady, you remember the First Lady Melania Trump, she spoke at the, the Republican convention. And if you watched her speech, um, she's not from, you know, the United States of America. So she sounded like she was from someplace else, right? You know, no criticism there. But Bette Midler, who doesn't like that whole group of people that Melania Trump is a part of, immediately tweeted out something very snarky and very crass. And to her credit, she did apologize and she said she was sorry for doing it. It was just kind of in that moment. But I think about how sometimes in our impetuousness we will make decisions that we know we, we don't think are going to create havoc for us, but then almost immediately the grief sets in. And I think that maybe Bette Midler felt some grief and sorrow for what she said, even though it might have appealed to her, her, her want, her emotions, her desires at the moment. And see, that's what is so important for us to learn about the Holy Spirit and not grieving Him, but just saying, not my will, but thine be done, because God has a plan for us. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, for the, spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't let Satan, society, or self tame your powerful, loving, and disciplined spirit that is within inside of you. The devil wants you to be timid. He wants you to be powerless. He wants you to be loveless. He wants you to be disciplineless. But that's not what God gave us through the Holy Spirit. God gave us a spirit that does not make us timid, that does give us power, love, and self-discipline. That's why today I say to you, do not bend the knee. Be rigid in the exercise of your religion. It's not disrespectful to any group that's here on this world. It just is, gives us the perspective that we need to have about who we bend the knee to. Be rigid in the exercise of this. Or Satan, he will turn your roar into a meow. And you'll become ineffective and unproductive. Seth Wilson lived a humble but powerful life. He was one of my professors from Bible college. Our son Seth is named after him. He helped start Ozark Christian College where I got my degree. He taught for decades there. He influenced thousands because he would not let Satan tame his spirit. He was about this tall. He was not a very tall guy. 
He was not a handsome man. There was nothing particular about him that you would look at and you'd say, you know, uh, this is a powerful giant. But I want you to know that um, I and many people that have known him in, the, in, in his life, we knew that he was a spiritual giant. I think I have a picture of Seth up there. He spoke in my ordination, and I was hoping that some of his spiritual giantness would pass on to, to me, you know, by way of the laying on of hands. But we just love Seth Wilson. He's, he's gone now. But when he died, so many people came out of the woodwork to honor him. Thousands came forward at his funeral to talk and tell stories about how his teaching saved them. And the many books that he wrote and the writings that he published, he was indeed a spiritual giant of God in a small package because he refused to allow Satan or society or even self to tame him. Whose giant, spiritual giant can you be? And the only way you're going to be a spiritual giant is if you confess and admit today that you need to quit letting things tame the spirit that lives within you. The Bible's very clear on how to be tameless. And we just follow that example of Jesus. We stand up strong against Satan's schemes. And then God can use us to do incredible things as his spiritual giant. Let's pray.